It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. Uh, well, this is the, uh, officially the last session or study in this particular series. And uh, we've been walking through this idea of life in the Word and just kind of want to put a bow tie of sorts on the, the whole concept and just want to kind of focus us in one particular direction just as we're wrapping things up here. Uh, we've been talking about, again, life in the Word, specifically what does it mean to abide and abound in Christ and His Word, uh, Scripture, very specifically. And you realize we as believers, if we are going to continue to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, we, we have to come under his authority and we will be continually or intentionally in this process that we call sanctification, where we are growing in holiness, that he is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is radically transforming every aspect of our life. And when we are in that process, we go, whoa, that, that's Christianity. That, that it's an ongoing, progressive, uh, intentional pursuit of life transformation so that we become more and more uh, like Jesus. And as we've been just talking through the series, I just want to give you a few passages. Uh, and again, a lot of the stuff or a lot of the passages are rehearsal or reminders of things that we've talked about already. Uh, but since you've all slept since the last time we've gotten together, I figured review could be very helpful. But uh, here's just a couple passages just to remind us. In Romans 8, 29, uh, Paul is talking about the fact that, you know, all things work together for his good and his purpose. But then he says it for this reason, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you realize that we as Christians are to be conformed to the image of Christ? That if there's any area of your life, your thinking, your attitude, your language that doesn't look like Jesus, then that's an area that he wants to change and that he wants to re remodel, I don't know what the term would be, but to, to sanctify and rub off those sharp edges of our lives so that a year from now you look more like Jesus than you do right now. And if you look back five years ago, hopefully you look more like Jesus now than he did five years ago. And if you're only four years old, then obviously we have some other things we can illustrate. But the concept is for most of us, we should be looking more and more like Jesus day by day by day, year by year by year. Uh, in Ephesians 4.13, listen to how Paul uses the language here. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Do you realize that what he is growing us up into is what Paul says is a full maturity? It, it is a completeness in Christ. And if you're fully complete in Christ, please raise your hand. See, it's unanimous. None of you. <laughs> None of us are complete. Uh, we all have areas to grow, including Eric, you know, both of them, right? So 
so can I, can I encourage us that, that God is wanting us to be in this process of continually being transformed by his spirit. A few verses later, Paul says in Ephesians 4.15 that we are to grow up. In other words, hey, we are maturing. We are developing. We're, we're going deeper. We're growing in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. In other words, if you were to look at your life, could you honestly say, yes, every area of my life is being grown up into all aspects into the fullness of Christ? In other words, if you were to scrutinize my life, every area is looking more and more like Jesus. And though I'm not complete yet, though I'm not fully mature, I, I am growing and I'm more in Christ and I have more aspects of my life looking like him now than I did even a year ago. Uh, in Colossians, Paul said it this way, uh, ch uh, chapter 1, verse 28, he says, uh, Paul says, Jesus, we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Do you realize, again, this is, this is Paul's burden, that, that we would be complete in Jesus Christ, fully mature, growing. Or as he says earlier uh, in verse 18, so that Jesus in everything would have first place. Or, or as the ESV says, that in everything he would be preeminent. So as you look at your life, can you honestly say that, yes, Jesus has first place in my life. Yes, in, in, in every aspect of my life, he's growing and deepening and maturing and, and, and transforming me so I look more and more and more like Jesus. Because that should be the reality of the Christian life. Uh, we've talked about this countless times. But you do realize that everything that we need is found in the Word. Now, the Word of God in person, whose name is Jesus, and the Word of God in text, which is the Scriptures. And, and I, I, I was compelled uh, to bring this up because I, I think I have to put it in every single message. Uh, but 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, which is a great passage. So until you memorize it, we're going to keep going over it. Uh, but listen to what Peter says. He says, seeing that his, Jesus' divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has given or granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I, I love what Peter says, that every single thing that you need for life and godliness is found in one place, Jesus. And if you can think of anything that you need outside of life and godliness, please come talk to me. Because I cannot for the life of me think of one single thing that I might need beyond life and godliness. And Peter says, do you realize that as a believer, everything that you need for life and godliness is found in Christ? And then not only that, he goes on and says, and he has given us, if that wasn't enough, which that would have been sufficient. But if that wasn't enough, he has given to us his precious and magnificent promises, so much so that we, as believers, get to be a partaker of the divine nature, which does not mean you become God, <laughs> praise the Lord, <laughs> but it does mean that somehow you, you get to have access into the very near, dear presence of our King, that, that you get to somehow share in his life. Isn't that phenomenal? How this idea uh, in, the, in the passage, this exceedingly great and precious promises, do you realize that 
as we come into the word and we've been talking through this idea of, of living in this book, but do you realize that as you come to his word, that there is overwhelming promise that you can take to the bank? That these are guaranteed, these are sure, these are, I mean, they're absolutely guaranteed. I mean, you, you, you can stand upon these things and say, hey, I know for sure that whether or not I've seen it in human history, I know this is guaranteed. And, and just, again, look at this in 2 Peter 1.4. I just read it. But listen to this again. Jesus has given to us his precious and magnificent promises. Isn't it interesting how many of us, you know, we read through scriptures and we nod along and we're like, yes, amen, praise the Lord. And, you know, we put them on the refrigerator and we sew them in our little doilies or I don't know, whatever the ladies do. You know? <laughs> Obviously, that's not what I do. <clears throat> you know, but, you know, it's like, you know, we hang them all over the place and we have these grand statements. And yet, how many of us actually are holding tight to that reality of saying that that is true? God's word said it, and I'm going to actually begin to put it into practice because whether or not I've ever seen it, I know he cannot lie. And if God cannot lie and he's made these exceedingly great and precious promises, well, then they're sure. They're, they're guaranteed. Uh, the New King James translates it this way, that Jesus has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises do you realize that's true in your own soul? That, that if you are a believer, you have promise. I, I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. Uh, this was uh, Oswald Chambers' favorite passage, he said. And it all comes down to the very end. But, but just, and you know the passage, but just, I, I want you to listen to this. Jesus is talking and he says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, guaranteed, you will find. Knock, absolutely. It will be open to you. And then he goes on and says this, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. But what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if his son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you get this, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. And then here's, here was Oswald Chambers' favorite statement. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you realize that what God is building you up into as a believer is to look more and more like Jesus, to be more and more holy, to be more and more godly, to be more and more Christ-like? That you, you realize that as we've been talking through this entire series, what God is longing with you is, is intimacy and relationship and that, that you would actually get to know him and I love this promise that, that he has given us these exceedingly great and precious promises. And the foremost promise that he has given us is the promise of himself. And as Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, it's in the context of, hey, your father, your heavenly father is going to give you the Holy Spirit. So this is all about the indwelling of his presence. This is all about the, the person of God himself invading your life. And, and look at the promise. If you will just ask, psh, you've got it. If you will seek, oh, guaranteed to find it. If you would just do a little tap, whoo, the door's going to open. That, that it doesn't take a whole lot. I don't know if you ever played hide and go seek with like a five-year-old. It's my favorite kind of hide and seek, you know, because I can win. Uh, 
But, but I remember when my niece was, you know, five, six, seven years old, and she would be like, Uncle Nathan, Uncle Nathan, now, you know, find me. So close your eyes, count to 10, right? And so I go like, all right, one, two, and I'd hear her, and she'd run off into the living room, and I could hear her because, you know, pom, 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 and she's, <laughs> you know, and, and then finally it's like, okay, right, you're not here, I come, and she starts giggling. I know where she's at, you know, but as a good uncle, I, you know, where's Paisley? And, and I'm going, I'm going to the kitchen and I'm opening up the cabinets and open the refrigerator and, you know, and I'm like, are you in the refrigerator? And you hear this, no, you know, <laughs> and then you make your way to the living room. And as you get there, you know, you, you see the curtains and they're shaking because she's laughing and you see the little toes underneath. Would it be interesting to think that when God hides himself, he's not He's not so hidden that it's actually hard to find him. That he's not saying, all right, count to 10. I'll, I'll go see if you can find him. Poof, and he's gone, you know. And he's just like, sorry, you can't find me. You know, I win, you know. That when God says, if you would seek me, guaranteed you'll find me. In fact, I remember as a little kid, you know, Where's Waldo was the big thing. And I remember getting in the newspaper and the comics you know, every Sunday we would read the comics because they were in color on Sundays. And, and I remember there's this one comic, com, com? Anyway, one of those things. And it was like a goof on Where's Waldo? And it says, can you find Walmart? And there's this little picture and there's some things around it. And then right in the middle, there's this big building with a massive sign with a big arrow pointing down to it. And I was like, found it, <laughs> you know? Do you realize that's how God hides? That he's actually not hidden. That, that if, you, if you would just go after him, guaranteed you'll find him. I mean, if you, if you would just knock just even just a little thing, the door's going to explode wide open. I mean, if you would just go, God, I really, and he's just like, ah, here I am. I don't know about you, that is encouraging to me. Because I think for a lot of us in, in the modern church, we just, we just presume that God is out there somewhere and he's hidden and we've got to like bust down the gates of heaven to somehow gain his attention. And yet the promise in scripture is just, just ask. I, I, I am right here. And in fact, that, that's affirmed in, in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse six, listen to this. And, and you know the passage well, but, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he, God, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the promise in Scripture, again, he's given us these exceedingly great and precious promises. The promise in Scripture, the, the primary promise, if I can say it that way, is himself. And if you would diligently go after him, the promise is God will reward that. Well, what is he going to give me? If I go after him, am I going to get riches? Probably not. Oh, if I go after him, do I, get a, do, do I get a mansion? No. Hey, if I go after him, you know, get off that stuff. Because if that's what you're going to God for, then you're actually not seeking him. Isn't it a beautiful reality that the promise of scripture is that if I would just diligently go after him, the reward of doing that is that I get the very thing that I seek. I get him. Isn't that phenomenal? So as we're talking about this idea of life in the word, do you, do you recognize that, that God, God wants you to know him more than you want to know him? And yet he, he's not actually hidden, folks. 
There's a promise in scripture. He's given all these exceedingly great and precious promises that, that if you would just go after him, if you would just seek, if you would just, if you would just hunger and thirst after him, he will fill you. I mean, if you would just crave him, he'll fill you up. Isn't this encouraging? Someone? No one? I'm just kidding. Thank you. <laughs> So throughout this whole series, we've been talking about this idea of knowing God, uh, not just knowing about God, but actually knowing God. Again, somehow we've, we've got to progress beyond the academics and the information and begin to know God in intimacy. And earlier in this whole series, we were talking about that word gnosko, that this idea that, that we can actually intimately, experientially, relationally know our God. And so here's, here's the question. If the whole idea of living in the word is somehow knowing him, how on earth are you going to do that? And I just want to give you two quick ideas. As we're looking at this idea of life in the word, I really want to impress two things upon you. One, you have got to know your God. In Psalm 46 verse 10, it's a passage you know well, but the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. The word there, know, in Hebrew is the equivalent to the Greek word gnosko. So God says, hey, you can know me. I mean, you can get wrapped up in intimacy and relationship with me. Oh, how am I going to do that? Be still. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear that. I go, nah, I'm busy. Be still seems like pulling teeth. <laughs> it's like, I, I'll be still when I'm dead, you know? But the word be still, it actually has this idea of to to cease from labor. It has this idea to loiter. Isn't that a great way to say it? It's to be free from labor or to give oneself to a thing. It's to be unoccupied. It's to sink, to relax, to let go. In other words, it's to basically remove all of the distraction so you can do the primary thing that you're supposed to do. Could you just, could you just rest? Could you just, just let everything else go for just, just, hey, just go after God. I don't know if you recognize this, but we live in a very distracted culture. I mean, with all the beeps and the buzzes and the dings, and I mean, we, we are constantly surrounded by noise. Uh, I was looking up the recent statistic. The average American, just ponder this, the average American watches between six and eight hours of entertainment a day, which is a full-time job. I mean, we are distracted, folks. Uh, the, I looked this up yesterday because I thought it was interesting. The average uh, American touches their cell phone over 2,500 times a day. That's like the average. Like the high-end users are well over 5,000 times a day. Which means, just, just think this through, that the average person with a smartphone touches their smartphone over a million times a year. Now, I love my smartphone. In fact, I guess that counted for probably two or three you know, touches. But I'm not, I'm not downplaying the smartphone because I, I don't want to get mine up yet. But I, I'm not saying they're bad or evil. What I am saying is, do you recognize how distracted we are with the beeps and the buzzes and the swipes? And the, I, I got to look up one more thing and and, and again, I don't know about you, but it's like you can never just watch one YouTube video 
because there's always that new cat video you have to, you know, watch. And, you know, if you're on Instagram, there's, almost, there's always that, like, well, what if there's one more cool story? And, you know, Bella Marketplace is always having her new thing, and I want to see what she's doing, you know, and, you know, whatever else that you look at. And I'm not saying any of this is bad, but do you, do you realize we are so distracted? And yet God says, if, you, if you're going to know me, somehow you're going to have to push pause. And you're going to have to calm down and you're going to have to focus. And I don't know if we in this culture know how to do that. But yet God says, if you actually want to know me and you want to get tight in relationship with me and you, you actually want to gnosko me, that's going to require time. It, it, the, the way you build any relationship is you have to spend time with them. And God says, wouldn't it be phenomenal if you, if you got to know me like that? I gave this quote earlier in the series, but A.W. Tozier said it this way. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. Now, I think that's funny because he was writing decades ago. Right? We're talking about like the 50s and 60s. And Tozier says, now this is a hard truth in, in our day. <laughs> I'm like, buddy, you have no idea. But if he had to accept the hard truth then, how much more do we need to accept the hard truth now? And it's this. The man or woman who would know God must give time to him. They must count no time wasted, which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. In other words, any moment that you spend getting to know God is never wasted. Do you realize that has eternal ramifications? That, that, that any time that I spend getting to know my God, that, that, that enhances my life forever. I mean, that, that increases my intimacy with him on the long run. And so Tozier says, hey, don't, yes, it's hard, <laughs> but you're going to have to spend time with God. But don't count it a waste because it is the best use of our time. So can I encourage you, as we're talking about life and the word, could, could you get to know your God? Would you get to know his nature and would you get to know his heart? And would, would you actually have that perspective, that mind of Christ that he wants to give you? Would you let him transform your mind so you can think and live and act like he wants you to live? Well, how am I going to walk by faith? How am I going to trust my God in the days in which we live? Do you realize how much easier it is to, to walk by faith and to trust our God when you actually know the one to whom you trust? That if I'm just walking by blind faith and he asks me to do something crazy, it's like, well, I don't know, can I trust? But man, if you know his nature, if you know his faithfulness, if you have seen what he's done in Christian history and you know that he doesn't change, so if he was faithful then, he is faithful now and he will continue to be faithful in the future, then when he asks something crazy in my life, okay, I don't understand it, but I trust you. Why? Because I know you. You've got to know your God, folks. So would you get to know his heart and would you get to know his mind and get to know his nature and get to know his passions and... And I, I've mentioned this a couple of times to, to some people, but one of the best things that I have done this last year uh, is over the summer in, in Daily Thunder, we were walking through the Behold uh, Our God series uh, with the names of God. And for me, that was, that was such a blessing to my soul because a name biblically wasn't just a name. It's not like just calling someone Bob or Susie or Josephine or whatever. That a name is symbolic or it's a picture of character and nature and reputation and, and heart, passions, all that kind of stuff. So when God says, this is my name, he says, that's who I am. You want to get to know who I am? I'm telling you my name. And it was so beautiful to just walk through some of the names of God to say, 
I, I, as I'm getting to know his name, it's not just, okay, I can now call him Bob. You know, that's not one of them. But, but it's this idea of, as I'm getting to know his names, I'm getting to know who he is. And, and I'm getting to know his heart and, and how he thinks and his nature. And so can I encourage you? you you've, got, you've, got to know, you've got to know your God. So could you begin just to pray in your own soul that God would just give you a greater hunger and a passion for him, that that somehow that you would just be overwhelmed with, with greater intimacy, not just the information. And I'm not against information. I'm a nerd. I love information. But it's not just information. God, God wants to move us into a place of intimacy. Which brings us to the second idea, which you can't just know your God, but you're going to have to know God's word. In other words, the best way to know your God is to get into the book. And we've been walking through this over the last several studies, but, but the reason we come, come to the word of God, the, the text, is so that we might know the author. And as we get to know him in his word, he's going to confront you with the reality of truth, which is going to demand something's going to change. So, so I, I don't come to the word and say, okay, what do I like? And I'll throw everything else out. It's, hey, God, would you, would you reveal yourself to me? Could, could, you, could you measure my life against the authority and the standard of this book and anything in my life that doesn't look like Jesus, point it out and then radically change it. So can I encourage you, if you want to have life in the word, as we've been talking over these last 12 studies, you've got to know your God and you've got to be in the book. And if you would do those two things, I promise you, your life will radically, radically change. I think I read these last time, but in John 8, verse 31, Jesus was telling the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So how do I know I'm his disciple? I'm in the book that, that I'm clinging to. I'm refusing to depart. I'm resting in. I'm, I'm sinking down into his words, folks. Or as Paul says beautifully in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, would you just live in this thing? Would you just saturate your life in the book? Would you just never get out of it? Just breathe deeply the reality of the word. Never come up for air. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I really do want that. So all that being said, what would it look like for you to have life in the word. Uh, the word of God in person, Jesus, and the word of God in text, scripture. Like what would it look like for your life to be radically transformed by the word? Uh, last night I was walking through a webinar with uh, some, some of the, uh, our world and one of the things I mentioned is with spiritual growth and discipleship, you realize that discipleship is lifelong that you never graduate from discipleship. It's not like, you know, you get, you know, you get so far into it and you get a little diploma and you're like, finally got that one done, you know, now, now I'll move on to something better. You really, you never graduate from discipleship. You are always a disciple, which means spiritual growth, the sanctification process, the growth of holiness is going to be lifelong, which means that he's going to be conforming and transforming and, and deepening and maturing you in every area of your life. That, that, that Christianity is not a Sunday morning thing, folks. It's an everyday, every area of life thing that, that should be radically changing and, 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 and transforming the every aspect of my thinking, my, my language, my attitude, my thought life, my actions, everything in my life 
should be looking more and more and more like Jesus. Now, I think I've read this passage probably 12 times already in this series, but I'll read it one more time. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Get this. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And we've already looked at, you know what the Greek word for nothing means? It does mean nothing, right? Uh, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Do you realize that as 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 a human, there are only two options for you? You are either going to bear fruit or you will, you will be fuel. It's either fruit or fuel. Those are your two options. Are you getting this? Because either you will abide in Christ and his life will be yours and that life will flow into you as a branch and you will produce fruit or you will be dead. And the only thing good for you is throwing you into the fire. So, so again, what would it look like for your entire life to be like, okay, I'm going to hold tight to that vine. Now, when do you stop abiding in the vine? Never. Because the moment I quit abiding in the vine, I'm only good for fuel. It's, it's, I'm only good to be burnt up. So the reality then of the Christian life is I am always abiding. I'm always living according to his life. That this is not about me. This, this is not about my ability. This is not about my talent. This is not about my wisdom. Praise the Lord. That this is, this is not about me or you at all. This is about, hey, would you allow the God of the universe to invade your life and do something in and through you that you in and of yourself cannot do? We call that Christianity. Which should be encouraging for most of us because you don't have to be talented. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be good looking. No one's getting excited. That's phenomenal, folks. That is so encouraging to me. In other words, you you don't have to have this figured out. Well, what do I need? I just need the God of the universe to invade my life. And it's in my overwhelming helplessness and my dependency that his overwhelming sufficiency comes to meet my every need. And I live by his grace. I live by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I, I, and it's in this reality of the Christian life that is the Christian life. So it's not me doing good things for God. Whoa, isn't he lucky? This is, God, I can't do anything outside of you. Hey, I, I, I've got to abide in you. And so God, would you do something in and through me? Uh, in Colossians chapter three, uh, here's how Paul writes it. <clears throat> he says, for you died... Think about this. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you will also be manifested with him in glory. Do you realize your life is not your own? That that you are now in him. And now you are living by his life. Which is what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. Excuse me, Paul, but you're walking around breathing. You are living. He's like, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm living, but I'm not living. I'm, not, I'm no longer living by the, the resource of Paul. I'm not living by the, the mindset of Paul. I'm not living by the, the strength of Paul. He says, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Or, or as he says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, 
do you not know that your body is a sanctuary or a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Do you realize that you are not your own? You have been purchased. But do you know how phenomenal that is? Because in the purchase of you, the, the, the pressure is no longer on you. Now, you've got to respond. You've got to be active. Hey, you've you, you got to get tight with Jesus. That's all true. But do you realize that the overwhelming reality of the Christian life is not you and your gumption, not you and your ability, not you and your, all right, I can, I can do this. This is coming to God in your helplessness and your dependency and saying, God, I can't, but you can. I think I gave the quote last week of Ian Thomas where, where he said, it's one of my favorites. He says, you can't, but he never said you could. He will, and he always said he would. Not good. That, 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 that the life that God has for us is so overwhelmingly impossible that there's no way you could live it anyway. But then he never said he, you could live it. But he can live it because that is his life. And now he, through the indwelling of the Spirit, wants to live that in inside, in and through you. And now you get to live through his own life. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You've been crucified in Christ. And it is he who is living inside of you. Do you know what the grand message of the New Testament is? Jesus. And I've read this several times too, but just think about how profound this is. Uh, In 1 John 4, 9, John writes, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. We're not living for him, though we do. We live in him and through him. What would it look like in your life if you would come to God in your helplessness and allow God in his overwhelming sufficiency to meet every need? What would it look like in the middle of your temptations for you not not to rest upon your own ability and strength, but allow the God of the universe who is the victory and triumph in your life to actually come and do that in your life? What would it look like in, in, in every area of your life, in your marriage, in your family, at your job, at your school, at your whatever, what would it look like if you, you, if you weren't living by you, you surrendered yourself and you were living by him, living through him, and your actual life was in the word? That's been my burden this entire series. I'm just recognizing that I, I can actually know my God. He's actually given me his words. He cannot lie. And he's given exceedingly great and precious promises. And one of the foremost of those promises, oh, I get to know him. He's not hiding from me. Uh, Here's how Hudson Taylor said it, and I'll just close with this. He says, God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold. Oh, what could it be? What does God want from me far more than riches and gold and fame? Hudson Taylor says, Helpless dependence upon him. Isn't it a beautiful thought that the way God created you is to actually be helpless, to be dependent? And that that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign that you actually understand how you were made. Because when you understand the fact that you're weak, and when you understand the fact that you're helpless, that actually puts you in a posture of humility to then cry out to the living God to say, I can't, but you can. I can't live this, 
but this is your life. So God, could you come and invade and do the very thing in and through me that I, in and of myself, cannot do? And folks, we call this Christianity. Don't you want to be a Christian? So would you quit living by your strength? Would you quit living by your wisdom? And would you come humbly to your God and just say, God, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to know your nature. I want to know your word. And Lord, will you acquaint me with the reality that this is not about what I can do for you. This is, hey, could I respond? Could I walk in humility? Could I walk in dependence? And God, could you somehow do something through the living reality of your spirit in my life that I can't do on my own? We need this, folks, in our generation. We need a demonstration of the living God in your life. Not what you can do for him, not you mimicking and, and strutting around like, like a parrot, you know, acting like a Christian. We, we need a demonstration of the living God in your life. Whereas Ian Thomas said that the only explanation for your life would be Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I, I want to live such a life that when someone looks at me, the only way they can explain how I live is you. Lord, I, I don't want my life to be explained in terms of talent or wisdom or ability. Lord, somehow could, could you do something so radical in and through my life that it dumbfounds the world around me? And Lord, I, I, I just want to admit this evening that, that I am helpless. I can't. Lord, the standard that you have set is far too impossible for me to live. And yet you never said I could do it. Lord, how phenomenal is the reality that the life that you are calling me to live is, is not my life. It's your life. And if I would just walk in utter surrender and dependency, if I would just abide in you, the very life itself, then the impossible life becomes possible because somehow I get to, and like in that Argentinian tango dance of love, somehow get to participate with you in your life, that I get to share in the divine nature, that, that somehow you, through your spirit, begins to produce your life in and through me. And yes, I participate, I get that. I, hey, I get to obey, I get that. But Lord, I don't want to live just a nor normal, ordinary human life. Lord, I've been bought with a price. I have been crucified with Christ So Lord, I, I, somehow could you take me to a whole nother level where the life of Christ becomes mine and that I get to live through you. And Lord, what our, what our generation desperately needs in my mind is a demonstration of you. They don't need more rules. They don't need more religion. They need Jesus. And so Lord, could you demonstrate your life through us and Lord, just in our moment-to-moment, -moment, day by day, hour by hour reality of living, could you somehow allow us to experience what it means to have the fullness of life in you? Because you are life itself. Love you, Jesus. And Lord, we just want to worship you. Uh, we don't want to sing a song. Somehow, Lord, we want to see you and, and worship we love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.